Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. On a Monday, I am fired up because, well, it is Monday and we got sports. We got lots of sports, and I thank you all for being here, whether you're joining us on Twitter, the YouTube chat, on Outkick.com. We are all over the place, the fastest-growing show in the Internet. But as we say, uh, don't really check on that, okay? Just that's what we're saying, so it does not matter. I don't know if you saw this yesterday, but yesterday was an unbelievable day in sports. Yesterday was incredible. We got Mike Martz to talk about the draft, Will Levis at all. Aaron Perini going to talk a little bit. DeSantis, and of course, the Bills Mafia. And Sean Merriman is going to tell us what these rookies going through. Sean Merriman, Hall of Famer, will be Hall of Famer, that kind of thing. All right, let's get into it first, though. Steph Curry, unbelievable. I don't know if you saw this, but nobody's ever in a Game 7 had a 50-point game, ladies and gentlemen, until yesterday. And that was that man right there. Steph Curry, I believe is the best basketball player on the planet. I believe Steph Curry is better than LeBron James, better than the Greek freak. Is he more talented? Oh, hell no. He's just the best basketball player in the land. All he does is win championships. All he does is lead his team. And all he does is play with a maturity that very few have. I'll give James his due. James is the best player of the generation. But right now, over the last couple years, hey, let's make no mistake about it, Steph Curry is the best basketball player in the world. And in fact, if you're going to say Jerry West is a top five or Oscar Robertson is a top five guy all time, Steph Curry's bypassed. He just has eight rebounds, six assists. I mean, the dude did everything in a game seven in a hostile environment. And you know what? Curry was actually asked, who can stop Steph Curry? Let's hear from the great one right now. So who can stop Steph Curry? Hopefully we'll never find out. Man, look, um, he does something that I wish players would do, but players don't want to do, and most times now players can't do, and that's move without the basketball. Every move he makes is smart, whether it is back cutting, whether it is popping out, whether it is dribbling in circles on the baseline, whether it is sliding over when a postman has the ball, whether it is a straight cut from the rim. The only caveat that I would say to Steph Curry is he does not play in an era where they crush your soul going to the basket. That's the only thing that I would say. Isaiah almost died going to the rim when Carl Malone got him with an elbow right in the face. Big difference going back when Isaiah or Magic or Bird were going up against Lane Beer and others. Rambus, everybody had one. John Sally, Dennis Rodman, everybody had one. That's really the only difference. But for my money, that dude right now is the best basketball player in the world, and he has been for a few years. I mean, he is going to have to do it and do it well against LeBron James because I understand that we're all thinking that LeBron James is old, right? All right. You think LeBron James is old. 
I don't know, man. I think LeBron James is good. And here's the deal with this next series. This is something, even if you don't like the NBA, even if you're going to tell me, ah, the NBA sucks, I don't like it, I won't watch it, blah, 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 blah. This next series, the Warriors and the Lakers, I got to tell you, is must-see TV. I I just, I got to tell you, it is. It is must-see television. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if Anthony Davis is going to play. And did you see what's going to happen tonight? This always happens. This is starting to make me and give me gas. Joel Embiid's not playing tonight because he's hurt. I'm hurt. I'm here. Hey, my backside hurts. Guess where I am? I'm right here in front of you. I'm right here getting it done. I'm right here battling, scratching, clawing. You know how we do around here. Joel Embiid's hurt. Joel Embiid's always hurt. Joel Embiid, my backside, the real MVP of the league, Nikolai Jokic, ended up starting a series against the Suns, who a lot of people want to see Durant against Curry, but I digress. Long way to go before we get that. Jokic and the Nuggets whooped up on the Suns, got it done, started the series up 1-0, and I don't know if you saw this, but I've always said Madison Square Garden is very overrated when it comes to, when it comes to, bear with me, when it comes to the making stars in New York. Well, you got to play in New York. Really? Peyton Manning, biggest star in the NFL. He played in Indianapolis. Who really is a star coming out of New York? Who really is a star playing with the New York basketball Knicks? You tell me. I don't know. I guess Jalen Brunson is, but every once in a while, the God, Madison Square God jumps. Every once in a while, the joint is jumping, it's popping, it's rolling, it's rocking, it's going. And yesterday was one of those days. Again, this is why I love the NBA playoffs. Obviously, the talent level is off the chain, yo. But the truth of the matter is, it's the home crowds that get my juices flowing. That's right. I stand up for the home crowd, man. I thought what Curry did going into Sacktown, beating him by 20, was unbelievable. If you've ever coached, I swear to God this happens. Follow me here. You look at a home crowd, and you look at the team when they're at home, and their guys are bigger. They look bigger at home. And then you play them at your place, and they don't look so big. Well, yesterday, Sacramento was going crazy, and Curry just shut them up in the second half. Just shut them up. Yesterday, the garden was going crazy. And you know what happened with the garden? Here's what happened with the garden. What happened with the garden was this. People left early. They started filing out. Why? Well, because Jimmy Butler and the fellas from the Heat with the best coach in the league, Eric Spolster, there I said it, went into the garden and shut them all up. And that is so beautiful. You know what the sound you want to hear when you're on the road is? The sound you want to hear is nothing. Zero, zip. You don't want to hear a single thing. The sound of silence on the road. I don't hear it. They're all leaving. And you're the road team. That is the greatest sound in sports. People always say, and I'll get to hockey here in a minute because it's unbelievable. The greatest sporting event that people say is the NHL playoffs and Cardiff Trophy. Everybody has these platitudes, right? Everybody's got these things. Well, I'm telling you, and every single player and every single coach will agree with me when I say this. The sound of silence 
on the road. Ooh, and then you see him leaving. You see people headed for the exit. And you saw Curry yesterday. He got to hang out and sit. Uh, the Heat did not get to hang out and sit. But Jimmy Butler twisted his ankle. And Jimmy Butler is the anti-LeBron James. Jimmy Butler is like, I'm playing. I don't care. Put a little tape on it. I'll go stand in the corner on offense. You guys, Lowry, you guys, uh, Gabriel, you guys go do your thing. Gabe, whatever the hell his name is. You guys do your thing, and I am going to help by just being out here, and it was glorious. Oh, was it good. Hey, speaking of hockey, we might have had the biggest upset in the history of hockey yesterday. Maybe in the history of major sports playoffs. Now, look, I'm big, as you know, on how hyperbola. I, I, I'm really big on it. I'm, I'm huge on it. Um, but you know what? I, uh, I got to tell you, when you are an eight seed and you beat the one seed, like the Heat did, no question, to the Bucks, it's big. But when you are the eighth seed and you are playing a team with 65 wins and you are playing them down three to one in a series best of seven and you come back and you win three straight against a team that had not lost three straight the entire season. Now, I'm going to say this again. The Bruins had not lost three straight the entire year. Not one time in 82 games had the Bruins lost three straight. Now think about that for just a second. Is that the greatest upset in the history of professional sports? I'm talking about the NBA, the NHL, Major League Baseball. Think about it before you tell me no. Serious business. Is it the biggest? I don't know, man. It's pretty close. I mean, when you break it down like that, down three to one against the best team by record in the history of the NHL. Man, that's big time. Man, that's big time. That's big time. That's as big as it gets. All right, let's hear. From some of the members, the goalie of the Bruins. Sad. You're going to see sadness here. Jeremy, when did you find out you were getting uh, stuck tonight? Yesterday. Sway, what's the emotion? Like, this is obviously a very close group. What's, what's it like? Thanks, question. Jeremy, did you feel like in overtime you come up with those two big saves, the, the breakaway on, on Kachuk and the, and the deflection on Brady. Those were the things that could pick the team up. I just wanted to do my job, and I was one save short, so it sucks. I think I owe the guys you know, one more save, so take the positives and move forward, but this one stings. Do you have any eyes on that last one? I uh, saw it go a low to high, and then... I just wanted to seal a little ice, but he thought he saw a corner and uh, kind of dragon shot it around some bodies, but something that I went back for sure. That's the goalie. Yeah, you need one more save, but you know what? You didn't get it. And my friend, Brendan King, who I worked with 
at 107.5 The Fan, and I'm being literal here, I only know one Florida Panthers fan, and it's Brendan. He's the voice of the Chicago Cubs single-A team, the South Bend Cubs, and I was so happy for him. He was texting me last night going crazy. What a freaking series. Man, oh, man. So there you go. I think it's historic. I do. I, I think that it is one of those deals where you could say, you could say that this is the biggest upset when you combine it, when it's three to one. I think you can say it's the biggest upset in the history of sport, in the major sport, major sport, major sport. I mean, there's some other things like, you know, Chaminade beating number one Virginia, that kind of thing. But in major sports, in our professional sports lives, you tell me a bigger one. I will listen. I will listen, listen, listen. Uh, I don't have it here. Some guy dots how Dockage looked after being trounced by New Albany. Trounced? We lost some free throws at the end. And I digress. All right, is the NHL fixed? I want you all to watch this now. Watch this very closely and tell me what you think. Right here, watch this. It's two to one. It's two to one right now. And they put up a minute and a half on TV They put up that the Panthers scored a goal to go up. Look it up. Many people, many, many, many people are saying the NHL is fixed because this popped up on television with about a minute and a half, minute 40, whatever it was to go, two minutes to go in the third period with the Bruins up by a goal. True story. A lot of people are saying, wait a second here. Is this fixed? Now, I don't think any sports are fixed. My wife thinks every sport is fixed. But things that make you go, hmm, that makes you go, hmm, does it not? That makes you go, and you know when I go to the beard, there's something afoot here. You know when I go to the beard, there's something going on here. All right, I got to ask you a question. We're going to talk about Brittany Griner right now. So Brittany Griner returns to practice, and we're all supposed to give a rat's ass about what Brittany Griner thinks, all right? That's what we're supposed to do. We're all supposed to care because Brittany Griner got traded for the merchant of death, the master of mayhem, whatever the heck his name was. Uh, and now Brittany Griner is saying stupid things. She's saying banning trans athletes from women's sports is a crime. Let's hear from the stupid one. I think it's a crime, honestly, to to separate um, someone for any reason. Um, so I definitely will be speaking up against against those that legislation and those laws that are trying to be passed for sure. Brittany Griner is an idiot. I mean, I, I'm sorry. I know we're all supposed to go, yay, Rob, Brittany Griner. But Brittany Griner saying it is a crime to separate women is just stupid. And I'm not surprised because she's stupid. Uh, she is. She continues to be stupid. You bring weed into Russia, you're stupid. I, you know, I, I'm sorry. It, it, you know, well, you're racist. Well, fine, call me whatever you like, but she's stupid. Like, if my son tried to bring weed into Russia, I would say, you're stupid. What are you doing? Why are you doing it? How dumb are you? You're going to get what you deserve. You know what I mean? Now, an African-American, 
host on SportsCenter this morning, when talking about Brittany Griner, said that she was unlawfully detained. Now, those of you that watch this show and have watched it for a long time, I started beating the, I started beating the drum for Brittany Griner to get home way before anybody else. True story. But at no time did I think she's unlawfully detained. She's an idiot. And idiots do stupid things. She walked into Russia, tried to get her vape because she's an entitled American athlete that somehow being a WNBA player, in her mind, she thinks matters to anybody outside, outside of, I guess, Baylor. You know what I mean? Apparently, he kept a house. He, it's she, Jericho. She kept a house. She knew Russia doesn't play when it comes to drugs, but took the risk. Paul Whalen's been wrongfully in prison here for four years. He should have come home first. Well, of course he should have. But in our White House, in our sports channels, race matters more than anything else. And that's what we just have to do. So Brittany Griner decides now it should be illegal, illegal to say that men should not play with women. What are you in jail for? I lopped off my neighbor's head. What are you in jail for? Uh, you know what? I, I robbed the bank. What are you in jail for? Well, I, I, I said that women should have their own sports and men dressed as women shouldn't play those sports. Yeah, I, That's what you're in for? Yeah, it's, it's illegal. Oh, yeah. The great Adam's apple one says that it should be illegal, and the great Adam's apple one continues to be a complete idiot. And we don't even, I don't know why I have spent this much time. Here's the level Brittany Griner is at. Brittany Griner saying that it is illegal is the same level as Dylan Mulvaney. You remember Dylan Mulvaney, the dude that dresses up as a girl and mocks women but gets paid a lot of money from major corporations for it? You remember him. Well, he says it should be illegal. Here again, I don't know if all of the LGTBQRSYUV community got together and said, all right, here's the memo. Anything that goes against us is now illegal. Before, it used to be dangerous and hateful and puts transgender people in peril. Well, after we've seen transgender people start murdering with manifestos, I think what happened here is the transgender world got together and said, no, 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 no. No more of the, well, it is putting transgender people in peril. No more is it hate and makes it dangerous. No, 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 let's get rid of that. Look at that Adam's apple. Let's get rid of that. Let's go now towards illegal. Let's fight it through legislation. I'm telling you, this is what happened. Nobody else in the world is going to tell you this because no one else is allowed to. But because of OutKick, I'm allowed to. I'm telling you, that's what happened. Remember, every single thing that you said negative or implied negative to transgender people in the transgender world was met with the word hate. And this is about two or three weeks or four weeks ago. Then all of a sudden, the idiots started shooting up places. That's right. And the idiots isn't just transgender. It's whoever shoots up places, so stick it. Started shooting up. All of a sudden, transgender's got a manifesto of hate, of murder, which may or may not be released to the general public. So now, all of a sudden, what happened? We better change the narrative. That narrative isn't going to work anymore. Hang on. So now let's go with legal.
That's exactly what happened. And it isn't a coincidence that Dylan Mulvaney and uh, Brittany Griner both started using the word illegal. Transgender folks got together, changed the code, changed the wording, changed the code. I'm telling you. And if you don't think that's happening, I can't help you because, of course, that's happening. And if you don't think it's true, then good for you. I only tell you what is going on. I'm going to get to the draft. Let's get to it right now. So the NFL draft happened. And I don't know if you saw this, but did you know that Mel Kuyper, who I really like, got one white right, got one in his mock draft? My friend David Kaplan of WMVP in Chicago, longtime friend of mine, said the other day, these mock drafts are crap. These mock drafts are garbage. None of these guys knows anything about what they are talking about. And guess what? They're right. Let's look at some prominent mock drafters. You ready? Mel Kuyper, one out of 31. Pete Prisco, two out of 31. Peter King, the great coffee guy, two out of 31. Peter Schrager, two out of 31. Todd McShay dominated, four out of 31 right. But the greatest, the king, is Daniel Jeremiah. He got less than 20% right, 6 out of 31. So when my man Daniel David Kaplan says that these mock drafts are crap, he ain't wrong. Mock drafts are hard. Mock drafts are really, really hard. All right, let's look at some picks. Will Levis. You know, Will Levis, I would fire my agent. 100% fire my agent. You put me out there, somehow you thought and was told or whatever that I was going to be a top five pick, so I got all gussied up. My mom, my sister, my girlfriend, everyone wore their best spaghetti strap, show my boobs, dresses, and I had to sit there like an idiot all night. You're fired. That's what I'm doing. But he got saved, ladies and gentlemen. He got saved by a team that he's going to play. You don't draft Will Levis when you already took Malik Willis if you're not planning on playing Will Levis. You don't draft Will Levis in the second round with the 33rd pick. He got lucky. He got very, very lucky. He's going to an organization with a coach in Mike Vrabel that isn't going to tolerate stupid, that isn't going to tolerate weird, that isn't going to tolerate me, I, I, me, I, 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 me, I, 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 me. Not going to do it. It's going to make him be a pro. It's going to make him learn from Tannehill, who is a pro. And he's going to get every opportunity, maybe this year, maybe next. I don't know. But that is a win for Will Levis. He probably doesn't know it. He's probably still sulking. He's probably still getting a lot of hate from people. But I got to tell you, just like Aaron Rodgers going to the Green Bay Packers years ago, this is a big-time win for Will Levis. Julius Brents went to the Colts. Now, Julius Brents is from Indianapolis. And right there, you can see Julius Brents is behind the receiver, and he's pass interfering. Julius Brents is the prototypical Colts draft pick. Prototypical. A little slow, human interest story, and everybody in the media says it's the greatest pick. Our guy Chris Ballard backed up. He backed up because he wanted Julius Brents and knew he could get, quote, better value. You know, it is amazing listening to Colts fans. Well, you're just a hater of Ballard. I'm not a hater of nobody. I'm a lover of winning. 
And this operation here with the Colts is on its fifth head coach, seventh quarterback, 45-52-1. That ain't winning. So this guy is typical. We drafted here in Indy, Rodrigo Blankenship. Where's my shades? He of the weird glasses and played with Legos. Rakia Seen was a draft choice. And everybody, oh, he was a wrestler in college. Now this guy played at Warren Central High School. And, of course, our idiots, uh, guy Stephen Holder, well, this is a typical Ballard draft choice. Traits, traits, yeah? Typical Ballard draft choice goes 45-52-1. and one. In six years. So maybe they should do an atypical Chris Ballard draft choice. But good for the kid. He gets to go home. Yay, Ra. Jonathan Mingo. Jonathan Mingo gets to join studs like DK Metcalf, Treadwell, and others from the University of Mississippi. You come out of the University of Mississippi and you're a wide receiver. I think I'm drafting you just because. Seriously, I, why you draft? Ah, just because. Just because everybody that comes out of the University of Mississippi is a wide receiver that's highly regarded ends up playing great. Just because. That's what I'm doing, just because. He would be my just because draft choice. Colts need a wide receiver. They need a stud. They didn't take him. They took a corner with Chris Ballard traits. Chris Ballard traits means you know how to lose. And as you saw, this guy, I like his eyes, on the ball, He's pretty good. Hendon Hooker to the Lions. Interesting. Now, Jared Goff played well, but Jared Goff has another year on his contract, and if Jared Goff leaves, guess what happens? Doesn't cost him any cap space. And now they get a chance to see if this kid coming off an ACL can get right and get to playing. Me likey. Me likey the pick. Why not? I would. No question. This dude seems like a big-time leader, seems like a very accurate passer, seems like a great dude. And he goes to a team where he doesn't have to be right right now. Maybe middle of the season if something happens with golf. But, man, Hendon Hooker, you got lucky as well. Because if you're not going to be a top-10 draft choice as a quarterback, then you're probably going to go to a team that has a quarterback. You know, Will Levis got lucky, 35-year-old Tannehill. And this guy got lucky. Maybe he sits for three or four years. Problem with Hooker, if he sits for three or four years, then damn. He's damn near 30 years old. That's a big difference there. But anyway, they liked him enough to take him, even though he was injured. I got my book here. That's right. These guys are unbelievable. I don't even know who they are. No idea. But a friend of mine, Kent Sterling, gave me scouting services. Our lads. Yeah, I don't know. They're out of Arizona. So I didn't know who Josh Downs is, right? But I looked up Josh Downs. And here's the deal with Josh Downs. He's little as hell with a big old helmet. All right, but here's what I liked. I liked him a lot. Yeah, he's little, so press coverage may affect him. All right, that's fine. But here's what I like. He can get open at three levels, is explosive changing direction. That's what this guy liked. What has two thumbs and one speed? This guy drops an early problem in his career. All right. Well, if you had drops early in your career, good. Don't have them late. It drops came in spurts. Limit exposure. He's the prototypical slot receiver who has all of the movement traits, toughness, and ability after the catch to come into the league right away and provide much-needed third-down security blanket. Yeah, I like it.
will create and lengthen separation. Yeah, I like it. He was a triple jumper, which means he's fast. He was a long jumper, which means he's fast. Can do damage after the catch. I like it. I like these guys. Look at his book. Look at how small the print is. I don't know these guys, but you can turn any page. This has some information. Scouting Services, Our Lads, 2023 Guide to the NFL Draft. I do my research. Look, if your guys are going to show up every day for this show, then I'm going to give you a little something-something. All right, we come back. Greatest show on turf was ran by the great Mike Martz, one of the great offensive minds. I want to get into Mike Martz's thoughts. What does an NFL quarterback need to be all about when he comes into the league? Who has the best chance for success? Is it Bryce Young? Maybe it's our guy, Anthony Richardson. We'll be right back. Man, I'm fired up. Sack the hell up and don't go anywhere. Don't at me. We'll be right back after this. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. You know, I've always been fascinated uh, with people that change the game, whether it was in the NBA, you saw it last night, long-running show, Steph Curry and them playing the way they play. But in the NFL, going back to 1999 or maybe even earlier, Mike Martz did that with the Rams and the greatest show in turf. Coach Martz joins us now, and you and I were talking off-air. You mentioned speed and attitude was something every day, particularly speed, right? Yes, Yes, absolutely. You know, we, people used to think that we had the fastest receivers in the league, and I don't know if they, we did or not. You know, I'm, I'm sure there were some faster, but we practiced. Practice was harder for our during the week than the game was, at, particularly at wide receiver. They were, We were just in better shape than everybody else in the league. So when we played in the fourth quarter, you know, they were just – getting going, so to speak. We'd wear guys down. The fourth quarter, they, they were just as fresh as they were in the first quarter. They were in magnificent shape. And that, you know, when I was coaching in college years ago, you know, the Russian track team, you know, three on, one off kind of a deal. And the overload principle and with your legs and running, I'm a big believer in that stuff. And I don't know if the league even let you do what we did then, but we were hard on the receivers in practice. And But once they got to that, that point where they're really conditioned and they they felt like you know they could just do anything then it paid off and then they wanted to be there all the time you know yeah success breeds success a lot of times particularly when the money gets better as you get better in the nfl (laughs) right right (laughs) yeah you know the the quickness and the change of direction comes with the speed you know um like i said it when you get guys on deep balls that are running the same speed all the time. And and we had a lot of deep routes now. And and we didn't you didn't see our guys tap on the, you know, point to the sideline and, you know, get me out. That just didn't happen. You know, they Isaac and 
and Tory, they just they stayed in there. They didn't come out of the game, you know, and unless they got banged up and had to come out briefly. But I can remember I just ran two deep balls, caught a deep ball, and he can't he looked at me on the sideline, he's gonna come out for a breather. And I knew what play we had to have and and he had to run it, so I pointed to the huddle, he jogged in the huddle and caught a touchdown. He was exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Hey, I I love it. Hey coach, quarterbacks come you know, a variety of ways, you know it better than anyone. I mean, Kurt Warner comes off, you know, his, his story is well-documented, undrafted, all that kind of stuff. Now you've seen the number one pick, you know, Colts go number four, number two pick, Stroud. What are some of the challenges facing those guys that are picked at the top of the draft? I think the biggest thing is adjusting to the speed of play in the league. The pass rush is so different. You know, the first time I saw it coming from college, it shocked me, you know, the pressure and how fast that defensive pressure is. And then the biggest thing though, above everything else is being on the same page with the wide receivers. You know, if, if those receivers are accountable and, you know, they can get that ball out ahead of time instead of trying to see him come open, that that's such a big deal. You know, that marriage between those two position is where it all starts and it's just gotta be on point. If it's not, there's you're going to hit and miss, and there's a lot of hit and miss in the league because of that. Coach, we've seen the difference. All right, going back, a guy got drafted as a quarterback, watched for a few years, and then he had to play. Now you know guys, you know like Bryce Young and maybe even Anthony Richardson. Here, I'm in Indianapolis, are maybe expected to come in. Stroud. What do you see? What, what, what are, are quarterbacks more ready, or are they just thrown in and got to got to sink or swim? Well, it's a good question, but it's kind of simple though. I think uh, compared to twenty years ago, I, I think the thing that prepares you best for for play quarterback in the NFL is how many times you throw the ball, right? So you know, you get into uh, you get into college football and you watch how many times they throw the football in games, and that prepares them. You know, regardless of the system, they're throwing it in competition and being rushed. So that's such a big deal. It helps these guys in the transition. What doesn't help them is the if their their system is diametrically opposed to the one that you have, then they kind of have to unlearn and and learn something that's so different. And I think that's in some cases that there's some truth to that. You know, there's such a stretch between what they're asking to do to what they're going to have to do in the NFL, and I, I think that can be troublesome. And sometimes, you know, sitting behind a starter for a while, that's really a good player. You learn the game on an intimate level. And young players that don't have that advantage that are asked to start as a rookie figure it out on their own, even though they're well coached. You know, they still there's some things that you just can't coach that they just got to be able to know and do. Would you be concerned um, about Bryce Young's size? Um, not really. You know, I think it was going to be an issue. In, it would have been an issue in college. You know, I keep hearing it's a projection, and that always bothers me. Now, if there was a history of it. Yeah, that's one thing. But and to say that the speed of the NFL and the collisions are different, they are, you know. But I also know we I watch Russell Wilson and he's smart in how he protects himself. And uh he's a guy that has stayed pretty healthy for the most part. And I and not really, you know, to be honest with you. Um I think sometimes he gets out of pocket just because he, he doesn't see things and that doesn't happen that often, but it does happen. You just have to adjust to him, you know, and kind of play to what he does. And But he's such an unusual player with what he sees and what he can do with the football. I, 
you know, I would be concerned about banking on something that hasn't happened yet, you know, something that's going to happen, I guess. Um, Anthony Richardson comes to the Colts. There's a lot of conversation about him. What do you see in Anthony Richardson? He's not ready. He's just not ready. You know, I, you know, he's a guy that's going to, it'll be three years, if, if that, before he's ready. He's just so far away. For what he does and, and what the league is, and, and, and maybe they're going to run what he, he did in college, I don't know. But it's just, it's such a difference, you know, especially guys that run well and all that sort of thing. Those are the guys that, regardless of size, they get banged up, as you know. Lamar's a great example of it, you know. So I think in the league, no matter what anybody says, you establish yourself at quarterback because of your ability to throw the football well. And that's first and foremost. He hasn't thrown a lot of passes. Um, I think he has some talent, obviously. But when you when the first thing you start talking about a quarterback or what a great athlete he is, that bothers me. And I haven't seen enough of him to say he can't be a good passer or, or, or not. But just what little I've seen, um, the correlation it isn't a big correlation uh, to the NFL, but – it's going to take some time. Uh, he's certainly a very talented guy, but does he have the skill as a passer? I don't know. You know, Coach, let, let me go back in your history in the NFL. You know, how many guys – I had a defensive – 35-year defensive coordinator tell me, Dan, what ends up happening is uh, guys play the same way on Sunday that they played on Saturday. It, it just ends up happening. Now, I don't know if you agree with that or not, but – how, in your experience, how much do guys actually improve if they are very inaccurate, like Richardson was, uh, coming out of college? I think you can help them um, to some extent. There's got to be an, a lot of off-season work, and they, they can't do that with them anymore. they got to get some knucklehead from uh, bejesus out there to, you know, to work him out, you know, some guy that – thinks he knows something about throwing football and doesn't, you know, and that's not going to help him. So, you know, I think there has to be a lot of off-season work. And I've been through that with some guys, and you can help them a lot. Uh, the more the more accurate they become, the more confident they become, which helps their accuracy continue to get better. Uh, it's hard to measure. Uh, some guys just can't make that. Uh, I think that, you know, there's a reason why they didn't throw a lot of passes. You know what I mean? They're probably concerned about it. And that's a bad message to the quarterback. And so I think he's going to have to have a lot of work in the offseason, a lot of work with wide receivers and accuracy and balance and, you know, flat shoulders and all those good things that you want to see out of that quarterback. Um, you know, it's a little bit like it used to be 20 years ago. You know, guys that don't throw the ball a lot coming out of college, they have to have a lot of development. And it takes sometimes two, three years, and that may be the situation here. Last thing, and I know you've got to go. Um, do you adjust? I, I'm guessing this is a stupid question, but I'll ask it anyway. Do you adjust <clears throat> to Richardson, or does Richardson have to come in and adjust to the kind of proven way that you win in the NFL? But I think if you're going to draft him in, in the fourth pick of the draft, he, he needs to be able to come in and adjust to what you do, you know. Um, he has to make that transition, and you have to have a plan for him and teach him. It's about teaching. You have to you have to teach him all the little details of that position at a different level than it's ever been, you know, before for him. And you can't once you go back and cater to him and just do it. He, he doesn't grow. 
you got to force them to grow. You, you know, you got that cattle prod. You just mentally, you're just prod them the whole way. Life's going to be miserable. If I was coaching him, he'd be miserable for about two years. I promise you, you know, but he, there's a level that you have to get him to. And, you know, they're comfortable with what they know and they're out of their element. You know, you just got to keep, nope, that's not good enough. That's not good enough. You got to do this, do this, do this. And pretty soon they become something they didn't think they could become. And, and that's, you know, I mean, that's coaching. I mean, that's why you do it. But that's what they have to do with him. There's a level. They have to have a plan for him. It's not going to happen overnight. He's certainly talented. And to become a, a, a really solid passer, then they've got to have a plan on how to develop that. A lot of seven-on-seven seven and a lot of hookup with receivers. Coach, I can't thank you enough. I know you're busy, as you should be this time of year. Thanks, Coach. No, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Well, it's my pleasure. That's a great Mike Martz. <clears throat> Interesting stuff for a lot of you folks that are here in Indianapolis. You know, I mean, I think if you listen to the propaganda, this is the perfect fit, blah, 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 blah. But that's why we don't listen to the local yokels around here. That's why we get guys that actually, <clears throat> excuse me, know. And by getting guys that we actually know, that actually know, we are telling you what is going to happen. Interesting stuff. It really is. And look, if you're still arguing with me about the Colts, then just stop. I mean, just stop. I'm the only one that's told you about them being a house of freaking sand. I'm the only one that told you that Chris Ballard is more concerned with PR than he is wins. I'm the only one that's told you this. So just, if you want to argue with me or you want to get on a YouTube chat or Twitter and argue, you go right ahead. Good for you. God bless you. But I'm the only one that's told you all this stuff while paid side. You don't have to pay for this. You just show and go. All right. Let's go to a couple of things here. Dylan Brooks. Remember Dylan Brooks, Draymond Light or Diet Draymond? Excuse me. Dylan Brooks skipped out. And this is what guys that are full of crap do. Dylan Brooks challenged LeBron James. Let me set it up for you. I didn't do a good job of setting it up. Let me set it up. So Dylan Brooks challenges LeBron James. Dylan Brooks is with the Grizzlies. Dylan Brooks is a guy that's like, hey, unless you drop 40 on me, I ain't got no respect for you. Shut up. Just shut up. He looks like a cartoon character. He looks like a goof. The whole team looks like goofs. And here's the deal. Here's the deal. Dylan Brooks gets his brains beat out. And in all three losses to LeBron and the Lakers, guess what this chicken blank fraud did? This chicken blank fraud decided, well, you know, I'm going to skip out on looking the media in the face and standing up, boom. Now, of course, he did what every idiot does two days later. I don't regret my comments. I'm a competitor. Shut up. You're a big mouth trying to make a brand for yourself. We wouldn't even know who Dylan Brooks was if he didn't get in a hassle where Krzyzewski, after a game against Oregon, Krzyzewski acted like a complete idiot to him. And Brooks was good enough to call him out and then kind of be nice. And we would not know who Dylan Brooks is except for this thing with LeBron. So I guess Dylan Brooks wins. I mean, if you're going to say who wins, the guy we're talking about gets the W. That's how Pope people now look at it, man. We're going viral. Okay, well, you know what Steph Curry's doing? He's going to the next round. You know what LeBron James is doing? He's going to the next round. Viral my backside. Viral. 
So Dylan Brooks did what we all knew guys like Brooks would do, and that is leave, walk out, whatever you want to call it, win times they got a tough, and no one's surprised even a little bit. Turn, run, go away, act scared, whatever, goodbye. It's just the way the world is. Talk, 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 talk. People think you're great. And then when you get called on it, you whine, you cry, you moan. It's exactly what happens in our media, at least in Indy. My man Doyle rips everybody. Then I rip him and, oh, my God, I'm so sad. All I know is, Dylan Brooks, I got two words for you. My backside. That's right. I said it. I meant it. Boom. It's really dangerous. And... Haley on Friday really said it. It's really dangerous just to throw out idiotic words to people, accusations like you're transphobic, you're, you're a hater, you're, you're racist. Well, back a few years ago when everybody was racist, when, you know, you had white people literally bending their knee, uh, calling Africa, their queen, all this kind of silliness, um, We had a lot going on. A UVA student was punished after being falsely accused of being racist by a crazy woman who got honored for lying about this student being racist. We've all seen this. We've all seen all of this crap happen. Look, I am as much against racism as anybody, and I include it both ways. You know, that whole, well, that white boy can play. That sucks. Stop. If we're going to bitch, whine, and moan about everything being racist, then, ladies and gentlemen, I don't want to hear about that white boy can play. All right. But a lady named Zaina Bryant was a prominent activist in the BLM, right? She accused another student of being racist. The woman in this truck approached protesters in Charlottesville and told us that we would make good speed bumps, except the woman, Morgan Elise Bentner, never spoke to BLM protesters, denied making the comments, had 30 witnesses that said she did not make the comments, and yet, and yet she got punished. She got punished all the way to expulsion. The accuser, this Zy Bryant, never, ever, ever produced any proof, of course. 30 witnesses, none corroborated her story. Many, in fact, had contrary versions of the events. The truck driver confirmed Bettinger's story, denying Bryant's story. Yet, yet, Bettinger's life was ruined. And you know the lady weighs 727 pounds that made the accusation, always do. This lady, Bryant, got a profile in the Washington Post named one of Ebony's Power 100s. There you go. Yeah, okay. It is disturbing how we function in the United States where somebody can just say you're racist. I had it happen to me with misogynists because I wouldn't go swimming with some idiot in a pool that wasn't my wife. 
So Benninger, whose father was a police officer and had pro-police messages on social media, had little chance of receiving fair treatment from Virginia because universities all across the country bended a knee and acquiesced to anybody that put a hashtag BLM or uh, acted like they were part down for the cause. It's unbelievable. It is unbelievable. It is happening far too often, and it needs to be talked about. It needs to stop, and shame on you, University of Virginia. Shame on you for being so freaking short-sighted, and you can't think for yourself, and you just accept it because of skin color. I say it all the time. I don't judge people, really. I just go about my business. But if I do, it's based on the content of their character, not the color of their skin. (coughs) And this idiot, Zay Bryant, getting rewarded for being a liar is disgusting. Shame on you, Washington Post. Shame on you, Forbes or Ebony or whatever the hell, man. What was it? Uh, Ebony's Power 100. Yeah, just lie and you too can make yourself into something you are absolutely not. It's ridiculous. It's asinine. And I would say it the same way if we went the other way. Uh, Mike Tyson. Love Mike Tyson. Went to Mike Tyson fight. Mike Tyson has made a comeback. Now, Kobe Bryant and Mike Tyson have made the biggest comebacks from people that paid off rape victims in the history of the United States. Somehow, someway, Kobe Bryant is considered a girl dad, and Mike Tyson is this curmudgeon, right? This older curmudgeon that we gravitate to and we see in movies. Now, I'm guessing Desiree Washington, the girl that accused him, and eventually Tyson went to jail for raping, would have a different thought on Mike Tyson. But hey, I digress. Mike Tyson, ladies and gentlemen, is a curmudgeon. Mike Tyson, ladies and gentlemen, says that he would have been a better boxer if only he had taken mushrooms. Magic mushrooms would have made him better. You know, sometimes it's better just to shut up. Shut up and take your victory. As a guy that went to jail for rape in a country that is now or was really trying hard through the Me Too movement to defend behavior like Tyson's, but somehow Tyson and Kobe Bryant have slipped through and become icons, even girl dads, even though, one, Bryant paid off a person of rape. And I know the story from his agent, and it is not flattering to freaking Kobe Bryant. And, of course, Mike Tyson went to jail over here. I think it was Pendleton for rape. But, hey. He'd have been a better boxer had he taken psychedelics. All right. Yay, Ra. Go fight win, Mike Tyson. The world we live in is very, very, very weird. And Mike Tyson and Kobe Bryant absolutely put us in the weirder than weird, can't believe it's actually something that we are currently doing in our country category. Period. All right, Erin Perini is going to join us. And when she joins us, you know, she is involved with the DeSantis campaign. She's a communication director of Never Back Down. But that's not why Erin joins us. Erin joins us because she is a psychotic Buffalo Bills fan. 
And I think and will ask right now that she is just getting over the Bills' loss. Sean Merriman was a great, not good, a great NFL linebacker. I want to get his thoughts on all the Georgia players. I want you to think about this from Georgia. Every single defensive player from their first national championship, remember they went back-to-back, has been drafted in the NFL. Every one, every starter. Never happened before. Never, not one time ever happened. Think about that. Think about the difference. Just use our our beloved Indiana Hoosiers here. Our beloved Indiana Hoosiers are supposedly, supposedly at the same level. I mean, power five. Big-time conference, big-time money. Guess what? Nobody drafted. Zero. Now, we celebrated three or four guys, Cam Jones, who I really like, and kind of think he will make an NFL team. But the truth of the matter is, there is a massive difference. Man, and I know it just means more in the SEC, and I know it couldn't mean less than in Bloomington, but still, you're supposed to be on the same level, and a couple years ago, my beloved Hoosiers were all the rage because everybody liked Tom Allen. I'm just saying So I'm, I mean, I'm just saying, look, for those of you questioning steroids in the NFL, I've said this. I have said this. I've never really had a problem with steroids in the NFL. Don't know why. I have no idea. None. Zero zip. Not a, none. Not one. I'm not sure why, other than you could die in the NFL. I've always wondered why aren't steroids or why don't we look at steroids more prevalently in the NBA? I've said that for years. Hey, Dan, I might sell more if I took magic mushrooms. Here's the deal, all right? Let me go back to the magic mushrooms. They're called magic for a reason. So I assume, I assume that they are great. I assume they do stuff magically that you wouldn't normally be able to do, but they scare me. Things like that scare me. Like, am I going to think that I can swim? and jump in the, uh, the lake back here and think I could swim to, like, the bar that's a mile away? I don't know. But I know this. I don't want to try it. Maybe, maybe I should have or ask one of our people on the YouTube chat. We got a bunch here right now. Rick Bungle, how about you take some shrooms, videotape it, and report back? Uh, Marby Dog, you seem like you're up for anything. Sean Black, you and your girlfriend... Take some mushrooms, videotape it, and let's see. Maybe Mike Tyson's onto something. Maybe Aaron Rodgers is onto something. Two pretty good athletes. While I just sit here on my fat, you know what, sniffling. Maybe magic mushrooms are the thing. Let's go. We'll be right back. Aaron Perini's going to join. I can't wait. That's it. I got to take a break. We'll be right back with more on Don't At Me across the Outkick Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.
You know, she is one of our favorite guests because passion is what Aaron Perini has. Are you okay? Uh, 2710 going back January 22nd. <laughs> it was a pristine, beautiful day. Apparently, I don't know. Are you okay? We're checking on you first. I am. I'm okay. That was some of the worst football I've ever seen. Dan, you know, we talked right before I left for that playoff game. I was so excited about the snow in Orchard Park. It was great to be back. And man, if that wasn't the worst football I have ever seen in person, we couldn't get anything going on offense or defense. I, ugh, I, I'm glad I got to go see some playoff football. I'm glad I got to see it in Orchard Park. I just wish we had actually played the game. Yeah, that was – I would argue that if you were going to go by hype, particularly from the start of the year to finish, that was probably the biggest disappointment of the entire season, what happened in that game. Not that they should have ran through everybody and gone to the Super Bowl, but it wasn't a great performance, let's put it that way, by the Bills. Let's, let's go that route. Yeah, it wasn't a great performance. I think that ultimately Josh Allen's elbow injury was a lot worse than we were told in that game versus the Jets. And I think that that really cost us. And, and I think that, I mean, listen, we, I was not a huge fan of making Ken Dorsey the offensive coordinator, right? It's really hard to have a rookie play caller in your Super Bowl window. And it remains true even after last season that rookie play callers at the offensive side of the ball do not win Super Bowls. And so, I'm really hopeful for next year. This is a really good draft class overall for us, especially in the first two rounds. Um, some definite acknowledgement by Bean and McDermott that we needed help in the offensive scheme. But I'm uh, I'm hugely disappointed in that game. That just that was the worst football I've ever seen. I have the book here. This is the book right here. This is the. Uh, it's our lad's Bible. A guy gave it to me. And see the words? The words are really small. Like, they're small words. So there's a lot of them. So I'm going to give you right now. Dalton Kincaid, three-year starter at Vegas. He's from Vegas, San Diego State. He's got to develop into a Kelsey. He's got to develop into one of those studs, does he not? I mean, I'm really excited that we picked Kincaid as our first pick, right? It's great to have a t another tight end. This is going to give us a 12-man personnel option that we haven't had in this offensive scheme. It's going to give Josh more options downfield. And he's going to start with Dawson Knox. Dawson is really going to be able to help him develop. I think when it comes to his catchability, his ability to move with the ball after, I think that those are two really strong points for him. I'd love to see him get a little bit bigger. You know, there's a lot of physicality to being a tight end in the NFL. But, you know, he's a rookie, and he's coming into the uh, the Bills organization. We obviously have an incredible strength staff, so I expect him to get bigger. I'm really excited to see him get into camp, and I'm really excited that we're going to be able to put two, two tight ends on the field now in a way that we haven't been able to before. There isn't, in my opinion, in my little uh, world that I live in, I, because we drafted a guard before Josh Allen, I, I, I have a bias against offensive linemen. I don't care. Just put a big fat guy in there, if he's a guard or a center, Give me some athletic ability at tackle. So I don't care about your guard that you picked. I, I don't care. But I do oh, care I about Justin Shorter. 
Well, I think that those two first round draft, those first, those first two picks there are going to be day one players that are going to help Josh on the offensive or on the offensive side of the ball. We had really bad guard play last season. We had a not great offensive line. So if we're going to be able to step up there and provide more for Josh Allen, I am all about that. And on shorter, our wide receiver that we brought in, I think he could end up being like a good number four wide receiver, right? We're getting toward the end of the Gabe Davis contract here. He's got a year that he can really develop and learn the scheme, the offense, and grow. Um, I don't see him being a huge asset in this first season, but I do think that like next season he could be a number four for the team. Um, the Bible has him right here, Justin Shorter, a uh, little bit below. I don't know if I, if I got it up. Yeah, he's down here. Uh, so, you know, if the Bible is right, it says Justin Shorter, different offensive schemes and quarterbacks, didn't quite become, but he has the size and playmaker strengths to be a really good one, probably undervalued by the Bible, whoever these guys are. So, you know, it is what it is. The Bible likes him as a playmaker. I am all about playmakers. I don't want to hear about scrappy. I want to hear about playmakers. That's it. Hey, I think we've got some good options here. I wasn't really excited that we brought in another guard later in the draft, that we brought in a linebacker. Do I like the idea that we're going to have like maybe three linebackers that we can move? Eh, yeah, maybe. But I think that was a waste of a pick to bring in another linebacker. We have Matt Milano. We just It just wasn't an asset set that we needed. And I am excited to watch Matt Milano pile drive Aaron Rodgers the way he did Mike White this last season. Everybody knows Matt Milano is my favorite Buffalo Bill. I'm very excited to see what happens this season, but I think that was a wasted pick, and I think the guard we took later on out of Ole Miss, I think that might have been another wasted pick because, what, we're going to carry nine, maybe ten offensive linemen on the roster, so we'd have to have an injury somewhere for that guy to make the active roster. So I wasn't super excited with how things finished out, but Bean did a good job on Saturday moving around trades and and picks and things like that. So I think we walked out overall acknowledging that the offense needed more support, that Dor- that Dorsey needed more support there with the talent and the line and the tight end, and you know a good you know a good wide receiver choice. But other than that, eh, it was it was it was an okay draft for us. That's why people love you because you're not afraid <laughs> to tell them what's what. Wasted pick this, wasted. All right, are the I don't think that I'm going to give you my answer first. I'm going to say no. All right, to this question. Do you believe the Buffalo Bills will have to live with the expectation of being Super Bowl favorites coming out of an incredibly tough AFC? This season coming up, I don't think that the Bills will be the favorites to win the Super Bowl. And Me neither. I think the AFC is just – I think the AFC is significantly better than the NFC, and, and that continues to be true. I really want us to win a Super Bowl. I have wanted it for the totality of my life. Uh and I'm hopeful that we can get there, right? There was a lot of frustration at the end of the season. You saw it with Josh. You saw it with Diggs. You saw it all around the organization. And now it's time. But I'm so excited. We have Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde back at safety on the defense. What a dream team, right? The last time we saw them was Monday Night Football, and I, we didn't think we'd get to see it again. So, like, there's a lot to be hopeful for as a Bills fan. Uh, is it snowing right now in Buffalo? Although you are in Atlanta. <laughs> I am in Atlanta. I think it's kind of cold in Orchard Park right now, so it could it could be snowing right now. But you know, there's nothing more romantic than playoff football in the snow in Orchard Park. It's just 
I mean, that's just, it doesn't get better than that. Yeah, we would take just one playoff game at home ever, apparently, with this regime here with the Colts. I'm bitter. I'm a bitter man. Six years, 45-52-1. and one. We're on our fifth head coach, our seventh quarterback now with Anthony Richardson. So, you know what? We would take a little disappointment as long as it was a home playoff game. All right, your day job, your second most important job other than being a valued member of the Bills Mafia, You are part of a super PAC that is all about Ron DeSantis. Let me ask you a question here. In your mind, why doesn't Trump just focus on Trump? What's his affinity with every day something about Ron DeSantis? It's very clear that Donald Trump's afraid of Ron DeSantis, and Ron DeSantis isn't even an announced candidate for president, but Donald Trump should be worried about Ron DeSantis. When you look at the two men, when you look at their records, it's very clear that Should Governor DeSantis get in the race, he will be a formidable candidate. When you look at COVID lockdowns, you saw Donald Trump and Anthony Fauci hand in hand trying to tell Ron DeSantis to shut Florida down, to keep kids out of school. And now you're seeing, oh, Governor DeSantis stood up, put Florida first, put families first. And the economic success, the absolute success that has come from pushing back against the heavy hand of federal government, you're seeing that in Florida. Yeah, Donald Trump is worried about Ron DeSantis because record for record, you see huge amounts of success with Governor DeSantis' very unapologetic approach to making sure that he leads and that the policy is what is important, not the public opinion. Public opinion clearly comes into his favor in the long run. We saw an almost 20-point landslide in his reelection in 2022 in Florida. Yeah, if I was Donald Trump, I would be worried too because it's very clear that Ron DeSantis is going to, if he gets in, going to make it a very competitive primary. What's a super PAC for people that don't know? Yeah, so we're an outside entity that is able to raise money and put support behind a candidate or a cause. In this instance, uh, Never Back Down is a super PAC that wants Ron DeSantis to get into the race for president. And so we are doing things like ads. We are doing things like mailers. We're doing baseball cards. We're doing... Uh, ground infrastructure. So we have staff on the ground in the first four voting states talking to voters, getting the message out there about Governor DeSantis, because people know who Ron DeSantis is, but they don't know the man. And when they begin to hear about his story, his service to our country, his family, the fact that he is such a strong leader and they learn more about the man, the more they like him. And that's really what we're going to be able to do here at the Super PAC is be able to get that message out there and amplify the governor. Uh, The baseball cards thing is brilliant ahead of the primary. Did I see that one of them – this can't be right. My wife told me this the other day. Like, a DeSantis baseball card was going for, like – am I going to be wrong, like 50 or 60 grand? Is that accurate? I I hadn't heard that, but I know that he was a college baseball player. He also played in the Little League World Series. He's a huge baseball fan. And, uh, yeah, so we're putting some baseball cards out there in the mail to some of these first four voting states, Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina, Nevada. So people, again, get to learn more about Governor DeSantis, right? He played at Yale. He was a captain. He led the team in hits. I mean, he, he was a very good college athlete, and people don't really know that about him. It really humanizes him in a way for voters so that they get to know the man more. Yeah, you know, my wife and I are ish people. You know, like it used to be for us – if two guys at a bar said it, we believed it. You know what I mean, Aaron? And now if two people on Twitter say it, 
we believe it. You know what I'm saying? So apparently two people on Twitter must have said uh, that DeSantis's card was going for like one of them. I don't know from way back, but I do agree. Like, all right, George Bush was a Yale baseball player, I guess. At least he said he was. I know Joe Biden says that he I, I, was raised in the black church, played baseball, would have been an NFL player. I, the dude is out of his freaking <laughs> mind. But at least, at least there's documentation here that this man actually captained Yale's baseball team. So good for DeSantis. He just doesn't have to make it up like our guy Biden. It's true. Governor DeSantis is a very honest individual and has made him one of the most popular politicians in the country. He's certainly the most popular figure in the Republican Party, and it's because he's honest. He's honest about what his goals are. He's honest about his leadership style. He's honest about the fact that the media and big corporations and outside entities aren't going to dictate how Florida succeeds. That's the kind of leadership that we need in this country, not one that's full of lies or bluster or noise. We need ones that put success and leadership first, not person. And that's what you get with Ron DeSantis. And that's really why Never Back Down has become this grassroots movement to get him in the race and hopefully run for president in 2024. What's the holdup from him announcing? I can't really speak to that personally. I know that he has publicly indicated that he would wait until the end of the Florida legislature uh, session to be able to make a decision and, if so, make an announcement. But never back down. This is really a grassroots movement that's out there on the ground talking to voters, getting the story out there. So should he decide to get in, uh, we'll be able to hit the ground running for him. Hey, uh, never back down. Um, Why... Let me go this route with you. This may be a really stupid question, but I'm a really stupid guy, so that's what I do. Um, Is it a partisan? Is it a Republican? Or is it it kind of independent, looks at a candidate and says, this is who we want to support? Never Back Down was founded by Ken Cuccinelli in order to be the outside grassroots super PAC movement to get Ron DeSantis in the race. This has always been focused on Governor DeSantis. It was established and developed in the hopes that should he decide to run for president in 2024, that there would be an entity to be able to back him in doing that. And we're seeing really a lot of success so far in being able to recruit people to come into the movement. You know, Ken's been crisscrossing the country, talking to different voters, and they're signing up and they're excited about the fact that if Ron DeSantis runs and wins, that's eight years of leadership we can get with good Republican, conservative, unapologetic Take it straight to them policies that is that won't back down in those fights. And that's what Americans want. And it's our job to help get that message out. Um, I don't know if this is your realm, but anybody from where I am from, which is Northwest Indiana, Gary, Indiana, the murder capital of the United States, which we're battling every year with Shreveport for that title. Um, but voter fraud is a real thing. And I'm not really going to get into all of it. But what people say is Republicans, and obviously DeSantis, have to change the way they go about it in terms of rules, things on election day. Is that part of your deal? The Super PAC hasn't weighed in on that. But if you look at Governor DeSantis's record of success in Florida, he was very aggressive in using the ability for the laws for mail-in ballots and encouraging early voting. If people are able to engage in the process in a way that works for them, Republicans should play by the rules that exist and not complain about the rules that exist. So Governor DeSantis used that and was able to win by almost 20 points in Florida. He won Miami, Dade, 
County, which is a very Democrat stronghold. And it's because he had a message that brought in independent and swing voters, lower turnout voters, because they saw they saw leadership and he made sure that they got out there and they actually voted. That's the really big part of this. We never, as Republicans, should ever want anybody not to vote legally. We should always encourage that. Legally. Yeah, you got to follow <laughs> I mean, the rules. Is... You got you to be an eligible voter. You got to make sure that there are safeguards in place. I know Republicans have worked really hard across the country to be able to do that. Governor DeSantis was able to tap into that mail-in ballot early voting structure in Florida to his advantage. And, and he was able to win in such a, a massive fashion by doing so. Aaron, I got to get back to football with you because okay. I would be remiss. You mentioned it earlier, and I've got to get back to this. I, I, I let it go, but I, I can't. Uh, obviously, we do know Matt Milano is your guy, your favorite. Uh, you did mention him crushing Aaron Rodgers. When you said that, it seemed a little personal. I saw a little spark <laughs> out of you. Does the... Uh, does the fact that Aaron Rodgers came over to the hated New York Jets add a little bit? What do you think about that? Well, we beat Aaron Rodgers when he was a Green Bay Packer, so we will certainly beat him when he is a New Jersey Jet. That's not going to change anything for the New York Buffalo Bills. So, yeah, I am excited to watch Matt Milano absolutely destroy a future Hall of Famer because Matt Milano is the best. And I am, I just, I'm so excited about our defense this season. Obviously, I'm a little worried with Sean McDermott being the play caller since we don't have a defensive coordinator anymore with Leslie Frazier gone, which, again, I don't necessarily hate that we're going to have that change, but it's going to be pulling the coach a little bit. But it's great that we have such talent on defense with Matt Milano and Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde, and I am just so freaking excited. And DeMar Hamlin gets to play again. Yeah. I mean, he's not going to be the starter because we have Micah and Jordan, but he'll be able to play again, and that's hugely exciting as well. Yeah, I'm not going to let that slide. The New Jersey Jets and the New York Buffalo Bills. I caught that, by the way. That didn't just – one thing I can do – my wife actually says, you're the best listener ever, and sometimes it's annoying, right? But, but I caught that, lady. I caught that action right there. Facts are facts. There's only one team that plays in the great state of New York, and that is the New York Buffalo Bills. Both the New Jersey Jets and the New Jersey Giants play in the state of New Jersey. You can't just make up where you're from. You got to say where you're from. And in New York, that is the only team that plays there is in Orchard Park, the Buffalo Bills. That is true. I mean, you can argue it all you'd like, but what the lady is saying is fact. Don't don't at me about it, people, because that is a stone fact. The Meadowlands is in New Jersey. There's not hey, it is. It is. It, they're New Jersey teams. <laughs> oh, that's pretty good. I'm not sure I've ever heard that, but I'm using it and I will not be <laughs> footnoting you. I will use it as my as my as my own. Aaron, congratulations. Uh and I'm all in on DeSantis, so you know, you got me, but you no. Know, We'll see. Thank you so much. Awesome having you. It's always great to be on with you. Thank you so much, Dan. Yeah, she's great, man. I, she's absolutely fantastic. And if she's behind it, then I'm behind it. That's just as simple as I can make it. If Aaron is behind it, other though I can't get behind the New York Buffalo Bills, I can't get beyond that. But, you know, hey, I, uh, yeah. New York sucks, Rick says. But, hey, can somebody in our little pack here – 
go on, uh, oh, I don't know, <laughs> go on mushrooms and see, you know, kind of, sort of, maybe how it goes for us. I don't know. All right, a couple of things. This was interesting. I don't know if you saw this or not, but, you know, the Detroit Lions had a really good running back. I watched him last year. His name was DeAndre Swift. And I'm sitting there watching DeAndre Swift play against the Colts in training camp. Remember, uh, Dan Campbell and the Lions came over and they played. And I'm like, man, this kid's pretty good. This kid is really good. Then he, he was really good. And then he got hurt. Well, the Lions, and this is where you don't know. You just don't know who fits on a team. The Lions got ripped for drafting a running back out of Alabama 12th. They got crushed for it. but And you can crush them for it all you want based on, well, you know, Bijan Robinson was the only one that was good enough. But here's what I always say. You don't really know what's going on with a team. And why am I mentioning DeAndre Swift? Well, because DeAndre Swift was traded to the Philadelphia Eagles. Now, everybody's saying, hey, look, this is a great move for the Eagles. And maybe it is because DeAndre Swift can really play. But what it really does now, what it really does is it gives you a little insight to what's real in the draft. And what's real in the draft is guys like me or Mel Kuyper or whomever don't really know what's going on inside of a team. One of the reasons the Detroit Lions were criticized for picking 12th a running back is because they had Swift. Well, they knew they weren't going to keep Swift. There must be something within Dan Campbell's operation and Smith Swift's operation that don't fit. See, that's why I always tell you, there is always a backstory to things. People so quickly want to jump up and criticize. And nobody's going to say, wait a second here. You know what? I see now. I, 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 yeah, I see it. I, I, I see why, yeah, uh, Jamar Gibbs was, was drafted 12th. I, I see it. I do. And, ladies and gentlemen, I meant to get to this the other day. I didn't. I will now. Tennessee, you got one of the great families when you got Peter Skronsky. Peter Skronsky's dad, Bob, played for the Green Bay Packers. Pete, uh, Bob Skronsky played at Indiana University as a lineman. He played on the great Packer teams, Fuzzy Thurston, Bart Starr, all that kind of stuff. And I got to know Bob Skronsky. What a great guy. I got to know his kids, Patty and Steve, both of whom went to Indiana. Steve was in law school with my brother. Patty was my age, and she went to IU. And they are great people, not good people, great people. And Peter Skronsky is, I guess, going to replace Tyler Lewin as the left tackle of the Tennessee Titans, protecting either Tannehill, Will Levis, Malik Willis, I don't know, somebody. They're going to protect, he's going to protect somebody. But you got quality, oh my God, oh, the toughest, best family you could possibly, possibly imagine. Just great people. Bob Skronsky died of Alzheimer's uh, a few years ago, 
And the only thing that could get a man like Bob Skronsky would be a disease like Alzheimer's. That dude wasn't dying from just anything. That dude was tough personified. He ended up being CEO of companies and just doing unbelievable stuff. In fact, even though he played and won Super Bowls, my man here did more in the business world. And that's what a lot of guys did on those Green Bay Packer teams. You see Peter right here. And Peter talked about how his grandfather and what his grandfather meant to him and the relationship that he had, which tells me this dude, if he stays healthy, is an absolute great pick for the Tennessee Titans. And it's going to be one of those Anthony Costanzo type guys where you plug him in at left tackle. Maybe he becomes an all pro. Maybe he doesn't. I don't know. A lot of that is subjective. Uh, Maybe whatever, but you're going to have a guy that you're never going to have to worry about playing left tackle. That I can guarantee you. I, I don't know Peter Skronsky, but I'm telling you right now, and you see my guy Dylan and my guy Ryan putting it up there, that freaking family is awesome. Not kind of, sort of, maybe awesome. I mean awesome. Fantastic. Period. All right, back to the NBA before we go to break and pick up with Sean uh, Merriman. Look, here's the deal. I want to go back to Dylan Brooks. Dylan Brooks and the uh, Memphis Grizzlies became completely unlikable. And if you know anything about him, what you know is Dylan Brooks has a big mouth And John Morant's a child. John Morant acted like a child leaving the arena. John Morant can't help himself. He is a child. And you do not win in the NBA with children. You win in the NBA, the NFL, Major League Baseball, hockey. You win with adult men. Men, not children, win. You say whatever you want about LeBron James, but he ain't a child. He had a great thing after the game. He said something in its lyrics from a song. He said, if you ever see me in a fight with a grizzly, go help the bear. It's pretty good. No, it's really good. Because LeBron James did what adult men do. He didn't get involved. Didn't mention Dylan Brooks by name, which is a way of criticizing Dylan Brooks, and I love it. And he went out there and beat his ass. I mean, what do you want me to tell you? That's it. That's what adult men do. They don't dance around after losses. They don't show up at clubs with guns. They just show up, win games, kick people's you-know-whats, and do their thing. So you got two of the best adults, actually more than that. You've got three of the best adults and a couple children in the next Lakers-Warriors game. LeBron, Klay Thompson, and Steph Curry, absolute adults. Kevon Louie, absolute adults. Looney, 11 points, 21 rebounds. Draymond Green's over here trying to be a thing. But that's what you got. So I can't wait to watch. Whether you like the NBA or not, whether you think the ratings are crap, whatever you think, I absolutely cannot wait to watch the NBA playoff series between the Lakers and the Warriors, period. You know... I have no interest in Philadelphia and Boston, although I like Brad Stevens. Joel Embiid's hurt. James Harden's a pain. I don't like watching him play. I don't know why I'm talking out of the side of my mouth, but what the hell. 
And oh, by the way, we got to get Benetti on this week. White Sox won a game. White Sox, 10 in a row, they lost. They're a mess. Everybody's criticizing everything. The thing seems, and they won yesterday. So, yay, Ra. Go fight with White Sox. We'll be right back. We'll be right back. Got to take a short break here. We are rolling with Don't At Me, and you don't want to miss it. Stay tuned. The great Sean Merriman, nice enough to join us. All right, the NFL draft just ended, and every team, like here in Indianapolis, according to our media, we got every great player. We filled every need. Everybody that is we got was couldn't believe they were on the board, blah, 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 blah. Now you've got to go about proving yourself. Walk me through as a rookie walking into OTAs or walking into training camp. What's the mindset? You know, for these guys, uh, they got no offseason, right? I remember that first year from, uh, you know, going going to, uh, to the combine. You got three days there training for the combine, and now you're walking right into rookie mini camps, OTAs, and then right to training camp. So these guys have to just walk in with their heads down, notice that it's going to be a long year. You have those rookies hitting that rookie wall because they're not used to, you know, the 17-game the seat, you know, th- this many games, them starting this early. And we all, we always call it the rookie wall because guys just get mentally and physically drained. They have no breaks. So, you know, just getting that getting that classroom and, and getting that playbook, watch a lot of film, get around some of these you know, older vets. That was one of the best things that I did in my career, getting around Lorenzo Neal, LaDainian Thomas, and uh, Antonio Gates Phillip, uh, Jamal Williams. These guys grabbed me and say, hey, this is this is what time we show up for film. This is what time we showed to work out. This is what we're doing. So these young rookies, man, they get get with these older guys to start learning. When you saw what was happening to Will Levis, what'd you think? You know, it was um, you know, it's one of those things where I didn't want to go to the draft. <laughs> you know, um, you know, you just don't you don't want to be, you, you know. So I, I was I was slotted to go somewhere between the first and the fourteenth pick or thirteenth pick. And even at that point, I still didn't want to go to the draft. I didn't want to be there and kind of sit back and try to figure out what was going to happen. I wanted to be in the comfort of my whole, own home, my high school coaches, my friends and family. That way, whether I went, went number one or 131, the camera was going to be in my face and uh, putting all that pressure on me. So, I, I'm with you. Like, I would fire my agent. I'd be like, hey, dude, you got to go. I mean, you you know, I, I'm here because you told me that, you know, I, maybe that's unfair, probably is, but that would be hard for me not to. Let's put it that way. Yeah, no doubt about it. And, and by the way, it's a guy's choice, right? So the agent can recommend you going. I, very few agents yeah. say, hey, you can go. But, you know, if you're slotted to go, you know, anyway, the mid to late first round, it's easily, easily possible to slide into that second plus round. So, I, that was my thing, man. I, I didn't care if I wasn't going guaranteed top three or four. You're not going to keep that that camera in my face all day. Honest to God. And then it gets worse. All right, are there a couple players that you really like in this draft? Yeah, I do. I, I think uh, 
I think Houston had, in my opinion, with that number two and three pick with Will Anderson uh, and and, um, and CJ Stroud. I was talking to Will. I remember. Yeah, I remember. I remember when he was a uh, Will Anderson was a freshman, and it was a writer who used to be a writer, a beat writer at the University of Maryland. He said, "Sean, you got to watch this kid." And I said, what do you mean? You got to watch this kid. He's very much like you. He's a little underweight right now, but he's a hell of a pass rusher, explosive. So I started to watch him, and then we actually ended up talking, uh, you know, early on in his career. And so to see him go and do what he not only did at Alabama, but see how high he got drafted, I'm not shocked at all because this kid, when he came in, I said he got something special. The only thing is he needs to add a little more weight. He needs to get a little more, a little more stronger. But he's going to be a player. That's he, He's my favorite pick uh, of this draft. I think he's going to come in right away and uh, make some noise. You know what's interesting to me is um, – I tell me if you think I'm right about this or I'm wrong about this. I understand the NFL is about 53 guys, 63 with the practice squad. But, damn – at that top of the roster, you better have stars. You better have dudes that can change the freaking game, whether it's you with a strip sack or, or a wide receiver, catch and run like we've seen Tyreek Hill or a quarterback. You better have stars at the top is how I look at it. You, you have to, and, and, and I'll take it a step further than that. Um, there's only a handful of guys that's going to come in and be able to take over a game, right? And, and you're looking at these top 10, top 15 guys – top 20 guys maybe, but you have to come in and get somebody on the field when you're drafting this high to go and make an impact immediately. So that's why you see quarterbacks, you know, Richardson that went to the Colts, uh, you know, C.J. Stroud, Bryce, all these guys. You get you get the guys who can change your organization immediately. Guess the next person who can change your organization immediately, a top pass rusher, so that you start to see these guys going early. So you're right. You have to have these guys that can walk in the game and take over right now because when you're drafted that high, let me tell you, ain't no sitting on the bench. Right. Hey, no, let me get this guy ready and sit back so we can. Look. No, no, we're putting you on the field because we need you to make a difference right now. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm here in Indianapolis. Everybody's excited about Richardson, but it's a little bit tempered because of what you just said. You know, the media here is saying that he's great. The national media, I just had Mike Martz on saying, you know what, man? He's going to have to really, 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 really work before he becomes an NFL passer, and he's the fourth pick, so people expect him to play, no? No, absolutely. Um, there there are some parts of his game that he's not on the same level as Bryce. He's not on the same level as C.J. Stroud when it comes to being NFL-ready quarterback. But let me tell you, with this system and everything that's going on now, guys like him who, who can throw the ball strong arm, I mean, his accuracy is – you know, you could talk a little bit about that. Strong arm can run the ball. And normally guys that get drafted this early, they're going to put on the field. They got to do two things. They got to be an excellent passer or they got to make plays, you know, with their legs and be able to get outside the pocket because it's going to be a learning curve when you don't understand something. Some of these guys might have to tuck the ball and run a few times to get a first down. I mean, you know, quarterback from Chicago, uh, he, he's he's one. He has a great arm. But let me tell you, the second he starts to panic or get into a bad situation, he is going to make plays with his legs. So, um, I don't necessarily look at that as a bad pick. I think that they're just comparing it to the other quarter, the other NFL-ready quarterbacks who can step on the field and make a big play right now. Mike Tyson had the greatest saying ever, where everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. It's like my favorite, my favorite freak. So when a quarterback runs, you know it's the quarterback. 
I'm guessing your mindset is, I'm going to knock this guy as freaking hard as I possibly can. Yeah, no doubt about it. You want to you want to get as many shots on these guys as can as you can when they're runners. You know, not in the evil or vindictive way, but you want to get them out of running the football, especially a guy that's hurting you with his legs. That's the first thing you want to do. You know, I remember when they started to implement that, uh, you know, the option or the pistol or things like that, and they were you know doing a lot of option passes. I remember the first thing we started doing was hitting the quarterback no matter what. We want to get them out of this formation. So when you see a rookie quarterback that's running that much, first of all, he hasn't been hit by an NFL guy yet. I mean, he he has no idea the amount of speed and impact is going to happen. This isn't college, right? You don't have a, you know one of these low linebackers or something like that that's going to come. No, you got guys that are huge, fast, explosive, and sooner or later he will find out, that, okay, I may not want to run the ball as much this time. So you got to get a lot of hats on that quarterback when he runs, get them out of running the football, but also teach them like, hey, you got to do, do, do two things. Stop running. Or get down when we get there, because one of his, one, one bad thing is going to happen from from that situation. Hey, Sean, did, could how often did this happen? I've always wanted to know how often did it happen that you hit a guy, and from that point forward, you could see fear or you could see trepidation in his body language or his eyes and his movement, that kind of thing in in game. Oh, a lot, a lot. You you see guys getting very timid. Um, you know, even even when you press a offense lineman up into a quarterback's lap and he starts to hesitate on throwing a ball, he doesn't step through and follow through with it. It's the same thing when you hit a guy. You hit a guy enough, and he starts to go down a lot quicker. He starts to get rid of the ball faster, but he doesn't have to get rid of the ball. And you see those things happening over the course of the game when you start to put some hits on him. But most importantly, man, I mean. You know, the game has changed enough where uh, they're looking at that every single play. So when when a quarterback is a runner and he's using his legs, that's when you have to go and, and put those hits on them because you want to get them out of doing what they're doing in offense, period. And that's when you know you got a guy, is it not? Oh, no question. I've, I've had several quarterbacks that make uh, different noises uh, after some hits. <laughs> So, you know, I, I know if you hit a guy, if you hit a guy enough and you, you get enough hats on him, enough hits on him, that uh, those little sighs and oof, that, that breath of fresh air just let right on out a few times. So, you know, after that, they don't want to go down that path anymore. Here in India, everybody used to make a big deal. Andrew Luck would get hit and he always made sure to pat the guy on the backside and get up quick. That was always his thing, I think. Yeah, I used to watch him do that. He never did that to me. I never got the the good pat on the back. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Saturday, uh, Fubo, my, May sixth. We got an event again at the Marriott in Burbank. Walk me through what's happening. Yeah, we got a big show May sixth in Los Angeles, California. If anyone is there. Get your tickets at lightsoutxf.com. We got some cage side seats left. I think the general admission are gone. Uh, but this, this is going to be our biggest car yet. We got about three guys, I believe, that uh, we'll probably end up in a UFC or so right, right after this fight. You know, I know they've already been offered some contracts, and um, I'm excited because they wanted to come and fight for Lights Out Extreme Fighting. Uh, if you guys can't be there, make sure you watch them on football. If you don't have football, get it. But uh, you, got th- you got at least three superstars in this car, man. I can't wait. Hey, what 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 is the is there a difference with extreme fighting and other fighting type fighting? 
Yeah, well, you know, with us, you know, uh, we are fortunate enough to get the best up and coming talent in the sport. This has not gone to the bigger leagues. Um, you know, our last fight that we had January broke broken in football's top 10 most watched all time. And so these guys know when they come fight for us because of the quality and the production and how they're treated when they get there, they want to make sure they come and fight for us first. If they have that opportunity to go to UFC, we tell them, say, hey, look, this thing is about making money and taking care of your family and, and being on the biggest stage possible. And if that's that in the UFC, go ahead. Um, but we're, we're very excited that they get an opportunity to come and, and have some fights for us. And uh, we're looking to break another record on football, man. So you guys out there, watch this one. We got we got some certified superstars on this card. Hey, uh, last thing before I let you go. As the guy running the show, when do you uh, – I'm guessing after the last patron has left the Marriott is when you can finally breathe, right? Yeah, that, not till that last fight happens and the broadcast go off. I mean – you know, for me, you got we got a thousand plus people coming in there. We're gonna sell out probably eleven to twelve hundred people. Um, and then you got the production, TV trucks outside, and you know, obviously the sponsors and everything else. So I'm running around all over the place for those four hours. And then right after that last fight, and they officially cut the cameras off is when I sit down, maybe even have a drink. I don't know, thinking about it. <laughs> yeah, big ass drink and a cigar. Appreciate you, Sean. <laughs> Thank you, man. Thank you. You got it. Thanks for having me on. And make sure you support Sean Marion Lights Out. Go to Fubo, and it is this Saturday, May 6th. And it's fun. It's it's a lot of fun. It's not the biggest venue, which makes it even more fun, man. I mean, the TV, it shows up great on TV. It does. It shows up like, you know what, crowds in the NBA where it looks like everybody's on top of you and the, the energy and the fighting is absolutely 1,000% first class. Sean Merriman, we thank him for coming on again. Does a great job with it, and he cares about it, and he makes sure that is is absolutely run first class. So if you are in the Los Angeles area, Burbank, the Marriott is the place to go. Go to lightsout.com. Go to and find it, and you will you will have a great time. I can promise you uh, that. Lights out. Let me make sure I have this. Lights out. I want to be so I don't screw this up. Uh, lightsoutsxf.com lightsoutxf I'm going to say it like a human being lightsoutxf.com Jesus, you'd think I didn't even go to college you'd think I didn't even go to school I can't freaking read alright Dylan and Ryan we got some, uh, well I don't know we got some woke dope clowns right now we need some woke dope clowns right? And by the way, before we go woke dope hold it before we go woke dope shout out Harvard softball. That's right. So here's the deal. Harvard softball had to sweep Columbia this weekend at Harvard. They did. And while that happened, Princeton had to lose a game uh, at Startmouth. Princeton lost their first game. So now Harvard knows if we sweep, we get a co-championship. That's right. So what did Harvard softball do? They swept, including an 11-1 Game 3 win at the cold and blustery, I don't know what it's called, Harvard softball field, and the great Tegan Shaw, the literal, literal best defensive third baseman in college softball, made plays, got hits, and Megan Welsh, Megan Welsh, the stud from South Bend, Indiana, Came up huge with a walk-off double in game two, a, a, a home run, 
to tie it up in game two. What a weekend. We went to Felipe's. We had a couple margaritas with Lee. Tegan did not. Uh, Lee and Lee's ex-husband, Jim, and uh, uh, Jared, my stepson, his buddy, Eric, who was a stud safety at Syracuse. And oh, what a time. And now we get ready for the four-team Ivy League championships in Princeton, not this weekend, the next weekend, and I can't wait. That's right. I wanted to ho- We wanted to have it at Harvard and host, but it's at Princeton, which is fine. Lee and I are going to drive, so it's only a nine-hour drive as opposed to a 13-hour drive. And we went to Hanover Street. There they are, the wonderful ladies. They represent the absolute best of the best. And I got to tell you, I I saw something that I don't think I've ever seen. Jenny Allard is the coach of Harvard softball. She's been there a lot of years. She's kind of a pioneer in Title IX and women's athletic, played for Hutch over at Michigan. I don't think I have ever seen a coach make it less about her and more about her players than Coach Allard. The girls, they had banners, they had trophies, they're taking pictures. Hell, I walked on the field with Jim and Lee and Jared. We all walked on the field. Uh, It was senior day, and I'm looking over. People are in the outfield, and Coach Allard is raking the field. Well, she's not making it about herself at all, and there they are, the champs right there. The champs are here. Look at how good Dylan and Ryan are. My God, are they good. But there they are. And the coaches took a picture. Coach Allard is the one in red on the left, two assistants on the right. But Coach Allard makes it about the players. Then they had a senior dinner. Glorious time. Thank you to Tegan Shaw for including me. Thank you to Jim uh, Jim Shaw, Lee's ex-husband, for being cool. They, I, I didn't even want to go on the field. They're like, Dan, you got to go on the field. Tegan wants you on the field, and Jim's cool, and everybody's cool with it. So I felt part of the family. It was freaking awesome. And now we got to go make the tournament. So I'm so proud of Tegan Shaw, four-year starter at third base, two-year Ivy League champ, and got a chance to go to two NCAA tournaments. Look at, look at, look at on the right, Lampy there. So Lampy, the girl on the right, she tears up her foot running to first base. It's freaking awesome. Is that Bobo in the middle? Is that Bree on the left? Yeah. The best of the best. I can do an hour on Harvard softball, ladies and gentlemen. And in fact, if they make the tournament, we are going to do an hour on Harvard softball. See, what a family dynamic we have. It's very weird, but it's ours, so don't at me, people. All right, woke-a-dope me. What do we got? <laughs> why don't you look, don't ask yourself why children need to see drag? Ask yourself why drag. That's what I've been saying. That's exactly what I have been saying. Right there. Don't ask yourself why you don't want your kids to see a drag show. Ask yourself why an adult male would wake up in the morning, put on a fake rack, a G-string, 
a wig, makeup, and want to go dancing in front of kids. That is the smartest thing I have seen. Period. We have said this forever. What kind of pervert, what kind of pedophile wakes up in the morning? Now, there's a lot of things you can do in the morning, is there not? I think there is. There's a lot of things that you can do. You wake up, you go mow the grass, you wake up, maybe you watch TV all day, smoke weed, I don't know. Maybe you're an alcoholic and you want to drink. I got all kind of Moondrops distillery booze over it. Whatever you want to do, do. But what part of you wants to wake up, put on a rack, put on makeup, put on hair, a G-string, a short skirt, halter top, showing a big set, And next thing you know, you want to dance in front of kids. Walk me through that perverted brain. Walk me through that pedophile brain. Walk me through that. Please. Please. It's exactly right, Jennifer. There you go. I've said this for years. Oddest thing that I have seen is this right here. All right, what's next? It's just weird to me. It's just really, really weird to me. A bill in Canada to criminalize misgendering, a bill in Ireland to send people to jail for possessing hateful material. The Biden uh, Department of Justice is throwing a man in jail for posting memes. Back in 2016, what is happening to the West? Why is it criminal to say, hey, man, when man is a dude? Why? Why is it criminal for me to say I don't think transgender men should play against women? That's criminal? If that ever becomes criminal, we may need to revolt here. (laughs) We may need revolution number two. I mean, how is saying that criminal? You know, the weirdness of the world that we're living in is the other day um, at the correspondence dinner where you, we, are them, are to celebrate free speech. Biden and others talked about with glee, with glee, uh, Tucker Carlson losing his job. Now, I don't care whether Tucker Carlson loses his job. I said this before and I'll say this again. If you cost your company 800 and some million, you're probably going to lose your job. I, I think, I mean, unless you make 900 million, but even then you're probably going to lose your job. So I don't care. But one thing I don't want squelched is free speech. I don't think that's right. Like AOC, whatever the hell her crazy ass self thinks is that Fox News should be banned. Is that what, is this, is this Russia, 1978? Where are we here? Misgendering, criminalized. People possessing hateful material. Uh, Here, is it hateful material to say, I love straight men? That's hateful. Is it like, I'm white? Is that hateful? The Department of Justice is throwing a man in jail for posting memes back in 2006. Why am I not surprised? You could tell me anything that the DOJ is doing, and I am going to tell you, yeah, I believe it. 
Yeah. Uh, on our YouTube chat, Rick Bungle says, hey, Dan, I think I am going to dress up. Uh, if I were in high school, I would dress up as a woman and play softball. Lee has told me this forever, that I need to identify as a woman. I'd be the best analyst, the most sought-after analyst in the country. Oh, man. That's an Adam's apple. This was a question about, on our, on our YouTube chat, this was a question about what's going on with the throat of Brittany Griner. And what's going on with the throat of Brittany Griner, ladies and gentlemen, is pure Adam's apple. Pure, unadulterated Adam's apple. Uh, we got a game seven tonight, Rangers and Devils. That's going to be fun. Everybody says, greatest thing ever, game seven. I am going to watch that in the third period. I am. I'm going to watch that in the third period. I'm not going to watch the entire game. I'm not doing it. Congratulations. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't know if you know this, but in all the hullabaloo of what was going on yesterday, did you know that the defending Stanley Cup champions got beat by the Kraken? Do you even know who the Kraken are? Do you even know why they're the Kraken? The Colorado, the Colorado Avalanche, who went 13 and 6, or excuse me, 22, 13 and 6 at home, got beat 2 to 1. All goals started in the second period. So yesterday, not only did you have the all time winningest team in the history of the NHL regular season that was up 3 to 1 in the series get beat in overtime by the Florida Panthers, but you had the Seattle Kraken beat the Colorado Avalanche, the defending champs, in Colorado. It's a pretty good night of hockey. It's a pretty interesting night of hockey. Uh, Last, last thing, we're making a ton of money on the NBA playoffs. Uh, I think I was going to make $2,400 this month. The month is over, so on my DraftKings, it tells you what you've made this month. $2,400 is what I've made this month. It's a pretty good month. What can I tell you? But if I tell you my bets, they always seem to lose. And I don't want to lose your money. But that's where we're at this month. I could show you, uh, but I'm really not in the habit of of, of lying. In March, we only made about 230. We're up about 3,800 for the year. So we've got January, February, March. We're up about 3,800 in April, excuse me. In April, we made 24. That's better than last year. And I always tell you my life story. We lost 8,900 last year. We did. I'll tell you, good or bad, what's going on. Uh, The news of the day, Mike Martz tells me, told me that it's going to be at least three years before Anthony Richardson is ready to step onto the field and contribute to winning. I don't know whether that's going to be the truth. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, Last, last thing, Hunter Biden arrived in court today. Hunter Biden, seventh grandchild of Joe Biden, well, hasn't really been identified or acknowledged by the Biden family. In New York today, Hunter Biden apparently has been hiding out in the White House because you can't get served a subpoena if you're in the White House. So according, I don't know if it's true or not, but who cares? 
It's a good story, and it, it, I'll guarantee you it's more true than not. Hunter Biden got served. The New York Post showed that Hunter Biden arriving in court today to answer whether or not he is the father of a seventh grandchild through some woman that he met. And you know what? Joe Biden told us all that we all are supposed to raise everyone's kids and how he has six grandkids when, in fact, we shall find out if he has a number seven. Hey, coming up at 11.30, I am going to be on the Two Big Brains YouTube channel. Kent Sterling and I are going to break down just the Colts draft picks. If you would like to join us, join us for Two Big Brains. What a great day. I cannot thank you enough. We're going to be back at it tomorrow. It is, don't at me, it is the fastest growing YouTube show in the morning in the country. See you tomorrow.